Amen. Um, tonight's been awesome already. It's really cool for me because, uh, you know, at the end of summer camp, directly after the last worship service, I lost my voice. Um, and this was the first time I was, I've been able to, like, sing in worship together, and it's been awesome. Um, so that's been cool. And then as we think through um, someone being at death's door, there is an urgency for the gospel. And as we get to look at Second Peter, Second Peter, Second Peter is just filled with this urgency. We're talking about a guy who is writing and he knows that he's gonna die soon. He just knows it. He's getting ready to die, and this is the last time that these people are gonna, it, well, he, he knows that he's not gonna see him again, and it, it probably, he probably knows that they're not gonna hear any more words from him. I mean, this is a big deal. This is a hero in the faith writing out his last letter, and so that's what we're gonna spend the next couple months on. I wanna challenge you with this. As we, as we go through the book of Second Peter, spend some time this week and read over it several times. It takes about 10 minutes to read. I think that's how I can read it in about 10 minutes, and I'm not a fast reader, so you can probably read it in less than that time, but pay attention. I mean, like, we wanna, you, we wanna get everything out of this, and I mean, because we are looking at the last words of one of the heroes of the faith. We're talking about a guy who, you know, we've, been, we've talked a ton about Peter in the past couple months, but this is a guy who is getting ready to be martyred for the faith, right? I mean, this is, you know, we, t- we joke around to how a lot of us can really relate with Peter because in the Gospels, I mean, he is a knucklehead and he says stuff that he shouldn't, I mean, just just goes, whips it out there, yep, I'm gonna say this, didn't think about it, just thought I'd, you know, tell Jesus you're wrong, stuff like that. Um, and then, but, but this is a guy who's been sobered, right? He's, he's already gone through persecution, he's been in jail, he's been beaten, and he's writing his last letter to these people, all right? It's a big deal, we need to pay attention to it. So read over it, couple times this week. Um, Next week, we're going to look specifically at verses 3 through 15 in chapter 1. So do that. Spend some time meditating over it. Come to church ready to to hear from God, preparing, and you know, we uh, being ready to be an expositional listener, all right? Um, And so tonight, what we're going to do is it's going to be a shorter sermon than normal. Um, You're welcome. And uh, we're going to go over some uh, introductory issues. We're going to go over uh, some major themes, and then we're going to walk through um, chapter one, verses one and two. Okay, um, and so let's jump right into this. First, we need to we we need we have to cover the question of authorship. Um, obviously, you've. Uh, by the way that I'm speaking, I, I believe that this is Peter. This is the Apostle Peter who's writing, although this is one of the most disputed books as to who wrote it. Um, a lot of people will say that it was written 100 or 200 years after Peter, um, but I, and, and it's crazy because I don't know why people get into studying the Bible that aren't believers, but there are tons of people who that's their job. They're like, I just want to study the Bible, don't believe a word of it, and they want to do everything they can to cast doubt on it. But I think that we, even though there are a lot of people who disagree 
agree that Peter wrote this. I think there's some internal evidence that points to him being the, the actual author. So I wanna look at five of those real quick. This is just so we have a frame of mind to say, okay, we can have confidence that Peter wrote this, this is God's word. Because if Peter didn't write this, then it looks like a, an open deception. I mean, that's it. But somebody said that he was Peter when he wasn't. So how are we gonna trust them to give us God's word? So it's, it's important that we trust this is a word from God, all right? So first, it's, it claims to be written by Peter. In fact, it's interesting because it says Simeon Peter, which uh, looks like, I mean, this, this, uh, we'll talk about this in a minute, but it seems to lend authenticity to Peter being the one who wrote it because if someone was just trying to copycat first Peter, then they probably would have introduced it the same way Peter did in his first letter, right? Do you see that? So, and we'll talk about the significance of the fact that he uses Simeon when we get into uh, one and two. Um, second is that he talks about how he's gonna die soon. He says it. In fact, what's really interesting is remember we talked about uh, in 1 Peter when 1 Peter is written to a group of people who are in exile and we even talked about how they're in exile in this time period, they're in exile in this world and they're in exile in this body and I think he continues that. When he talks about he's gonna die, he doesn't say I'm gonna die soon and the way he phrases it, he says the putting off of my body is gonna be soon which is, I mean, think about that. He's trying, it's continuing the same themes of 1 Peter, right? He's, he's not living for this world. He's living for the one to come and for that to happen. All he's gonna do is put this body away. He's gonna put this off. Now, why would someone, if they're trying to give, you know, even if they're good-hearted, let's say someone's good-hearted, they wanna write a piece, they've, they've listened to a lot of Peter's sayings, they're one of his disciples, they wanna write this saying that they're Peter, why would they say, I'm getting ready to die, that doesn't make any sense, right? So it lends towards Peter being the author. Um, the third one is he claims to be an eyewitness of the transfiguration. That's a pretty big deal. He even, he goes into detail and says that we were with him on that holy mountain. We heard God speak from heaven saying, this is my son. I mean, it, it, would, be, it would be crazy for someone who wasn't Peter to put that in there because he never uses that as an example anywhere else in scripture. So this most likely, I think, is Peter, um, he, in chapter three he refers to Paul as a dear brother. Um, why would someone 100 years after um, Peter and Paul were both dead, why would they refer to him as a dear brother and how presumptuous would that be? Oh yeah, Paul, one of my dear friends, right? So I think that's, that, that lends towards uh, the authenticity of Peter and he says that this is the second letter that's writing to them. Right? If you were trying to write a timeless piece of church teachings, you wouldn't say this is my second letter, you would just say here this is from God, right? Okay, so with that, I think it is clear we can have confidence in saying that Peter wrote this and in so doing, we are realizing this is a word from God which because he is going to claim that he's writing on behalf of, of Jesus Christ, all right? So let's look at these major themes. We've got four major themes I want us to pay attention to as we're reading through it. So as you're reading this week, as you read through Second Peter over and over and over, pay attention to these themes. The first one is our unity with Christ, which was so exciting when we're singing those songs because we're talking about our unity with Christ and his blood paying for our sins and having this righteousness from him. I mean, that's, that's exciting. It's because it's from the Bible. And... Um, when we, when we, we're gonna get into this more next week, but I'm just gonna give us a sneak peek into verses three and four, uh, which are the next two verses following the text for tonight. And this shows the clearest picture 
I think of our union with Jesus because it says this, says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises. And then look at this, so that through them, and he says two things, through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Man, if you're down and discouraged and you need a word from God and encouragement, read through this. And, and he continues in following. He, look at what he says. You have become partakers in the divine nature. That's awesome. If you get time, read through John 17 and Jesus' prayer. That when Jesus is praying to God, talking about the unity that, that exists inside the Trinity and that we've been called into that. Brody just referenced that, that we love each other so well that people know that Jesus was sent for them. We've been, we've been made partakers in the divine nature. Jesus made us for himself and then sacrificed himself for our sins so that we could have union with the creator of the universe. What's well, awesome. Yeah, amen. Man, it's so good, right? And it says partakers of the divine nature so that we can escape the corruption that is in this world caused by evil desire. We can live out the life of Jesus because he's put his righteousness in us. We're unified with Christ. All right, and that's, we'll get into that again in just a second. The second one is godliness. So we have first major theme. Second one is godliness. He, he uses godliness to open the letter and to close it. We just read it right there in, uh, in verse three. His divine power is granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness, which just, let, just, just, again, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Man, that is awesome. Everything you need, but I think because you have been given the righteousness of Jesus, his spirit indwells you and we have his written word. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So we, because of this, we have this indwelling spirit. He, then he, he talks about it in verse six and then he closes the letter in, in, first, in 2 Peter uh, 3.11. Look at what he says. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? He's already said that we have been made godly. Everything you need for life and godliness has been given to you in Jesus. You have that. And then what's he say? Everything here, this is all temporary. Remember, that's, that was the whole thing. We talked about it last, last week, right? It, when, uh, that he summarizes all of his experience on earth, all of the suffering that he's gonna experience. What's he say? It's a short while. Just a little bit. That's it. It's a short while. Right, this is all gonna be dissolved. It's all gonna pass away. So if your hope is in something that you can see, that you can feel, you can taste, you can touch, if it's, if it's in this world, it's going to pass away. It's going to be, it's, this is burning up. So he says, if that's the case, what type of lives ought you to live in holiness and godliness? Right, remember, same thing. Just like he talked about in First Peter, the living in exile, he, we are supposed to be living here as citizens of heaven because we've been made godly. And so what he says, is, as counterintuitive as it might seem, he says, you've been made godly, now live godly. Right, we're called into that, right? 
Next, uh, the, third, the third theme is, the, is steadfastness and the certainty of reward and judgment. Steadfastness and the certainty of reward and judgment. Um, um, next week, we're gonna see that he tells us to be steadfast, to add steadfastness to our life. But it's important that we know that he's telling us in this letter that you need to be steadfast because Jesus is coming soon. Now, what's really interesting is that what I just, I mean, see the irony? I just said that Peter, writing 2,000 years ago, said Jesus is coming soon. Yep. It was true then, and it's true now. I think it's really important as we, especially as we read through this, because there are, oh, oh I did, forgot to mention this. There, I skipped a page of my notes. That's good. We'll get done quicker. Um, <laughs> He's, he's, he talked about how he's writing to the same people and I think that they're still experiencing, they're still experiencing suffering. They're still experiencing persecution. They're still in a time period where they're experiencing persecution. It was probably written sometime between AD 60 and 68. We think it was probably shortly before he died, but we don't know if he died in 65 or 68, right? They're still, and they're still experiencing the suffering. He himself is gonna be a recipient of this persecution. Um, but the, the twist in this context is that there's false teachers, right? In this context, he's writing uh, because some of them haven't listened to his first letter. These false teachers have arose. Some of them are, the only reason that they're pastoring is for money, for greed. They didn't listen to what he said in First Peter chapter five, right? And so, he, and there, some of these false teachers are denying that Jesus is gonna come again. And so he's saying, I know it looks like things have continued to go on and on. Yet what happened to our, the people who've gone ahead of us in the faith? They've died and it just continues to go on and on. Yes, even more so now than before, but it's clear that the return of Jesus is imminent. What I mean by that is it could happen any day. Look at what he says in chapter three. In chapter three, uh, starting in verse eight, he says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as, as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. He's saying it's, it could happen at any moment like a thief. Right? You don't know when a thief is gonna come. If you did, it would be a terrible thief. But right, it's gonna, it could happen at any time. But it's interesting, you know, Peter, he knows that he's gonna die before Jesus comes. And I think there's hints here that he knows that the recipients of his letters, they're gonna die before Jesus comes. That's why he makes the point that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. He's not giving us equation that that's how God speaks. He only thinks one day, 1,000 years, got it, right? That's ridiculous. There's a lot of people that'll use that for other arguments, but that's silly. The point is, if Jesus says he is going to do something, it doesn't matter if he says he's gonna do it tomorrow or in a thousand years or in 2,000 years, it is certainly gonna come to pass. Wow. And that's, that's why ever since Peter, we can be encouraged by this. We can know that the return of Jesus, it could be right now. It's coming soon. He said he was gonna come, right? He said that he is gonna be ready to, to reward the godly and punish the ungodly. 
That's what he said. And so what do we need to do, man? We need to live lives of steadfastness. We need to be steadfast. I think about, um, if you ever read through uh, the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, he wrote them as a young man, and he says things over and over like, I'm resolved to be doing what I want to be doing when the Lord comes. Yeah, I mean, I know he lived 150 years ago, 250 years ago, there we go. But that's the same thing. Jesus could still come like a thief. You don't know when it's gonna happen, but it is gonna happen. So we're called to be steadfast in that. And then the last of the themes we'll look over before we jump into the text is, uh, is grace and knowledge. And grace and knowledge. This, is, this also he uses to open and close the letter, right? Um, we're gonna read this in 1-2 um, where he prays for grace and the knowledge of, of, of our Lord. And then in 3.18 he closes it and he challenges because of that, now we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and says to him be glory both now and the day of eternity. So these, as we're, as we're reading over this this week, pay attention to our unity with Christ, pay attention to the theme of godliness, of steadfastness and the certainty of reward and judgment and then grace and knowledge. All right, so let's look through. Our passage for tonight is uh, 2 Peter 1, 1 through 2. It says, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and, our, and, the Lord, and Jesus Christ, man, and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It's tough because he says Jesus Christ and then Jesus our Lord. Anyway, so Simeon Peter, right? That's confusing because we don't call him Simeon Peter, right? We call him Peter or Simon Peter. In fact, this, uh, Peter is only referred to as Simeon one other time um, in the Bible and it's in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. It calls him Simeon because that's kind of the Hebrew spelling of the name Simon. And again, I think this lends to this is Peter the Apostle who's writing it because someone else wouldn't have manufactured that, especially if they were writing in the second century because the, they stopped spelling Hebrew names with the Hebrew spellings after the first century. So this is Peter, and he calls himself Simeon Peter, and, and he's saying, I, I, and I think it's as, so that it's clear, it's me, the same person that wrote to you before, I'm the one writing to you. Then he calls himself a servant and apostle. All right, this is important because with servant, we've, we've uh, you guys know this, we've studied this a lot, servant also means slave, right? And I think that he's trying to, to, to emphasize two different things in this. One is that he is a slave of Jesus, meaning that Jesus is his master. He's already called him Lord once, he's gonna call him Lord all throughout the letter, right? He is our master, right? And so we are humbled before him, but also he is, this is, uh, in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew mindset the, or the Jewish mindset, when, they, this, when you would refer to an Old Testament leader as a servant, that was a place of honor. And so I think he is God's servant and he has the authority to be writing to them, but he's humbled because he's a slave of Jesus. And then also apostle. Apostle could also mean two different things. It could just mean like a messenger or someone who's sent out by someone else, but it looks like Peter is claiming the the authority of an apostle. This is a role that we no longer have in churches now. There was a small group of people that were the apostles and so he's writing because he's the one who has been given this authority by Jesus Christ to be writing his words to us, all right? He says, he's a, ser- a servant and apostle. He says, to those, and this is awesome. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing as ours. 
Okay, we just said this. This is Peter the Apostle. I mean, not just the Apostle, right? You guys remember the, the, there were three, Peter, James, and John, who were like his closest inner circle that he's gonna tell us later. He was on the mountain with Jesus. And he's saying that the faith that his recipients have and us is of equal value to his faith. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, because why? Because we have been united with Jesus. That's what he's gonna get ready to say. He's gonna talk about the righteousness of God. That, 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 and we all need to, we need to let this sink in that you have, a, you have been given, and this is cool, he says that you have obtained this faith or you've received this faith. This word is only used four times in the New Testament. The other three times, it's uh, with casting lots. Isn't that interesting? And I think that w- the point that he's trying to say is you did nothing to gain this. You did nothing to earn. This faith that you have has been given to you. You couldn't earn it if you tried. And you wouldn't try because we've been born into sin and corruption. But you have been given a faith, the same faith that our fathers in the faith had, right? And it says it's in equal standing. Uh, this is really cool. Uh, in the, uh, there's like a Greek dictionary and the definition of it, it's really enjoyable, so I'm gonna read it. It says, is this, this word, oh, this is the only time this word is new, used in the New Testament. It's used in other uh, writings of a time period, but it says equal in honor or value or just equal like the same kind of value, equally privileged, faith with the same privilege as ours. That is, the recipients are not less advantaged than the apostles and same with us. We have the same faith of the apostles and we have been given this faith by Jesus and it says by the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And notice this, that we have this, uh, we have been given this faith. It's not like that the righteousness of Jesus somehow gives us the faith, but we, through our faith, we have the righteousness of Jesus, right? This is where we look at our unity with Christ, that you have been filled, you have been credited the righteousness of Jesus. That's awesome. We, I mean, think through that. When, when God looks at you, you know what he sees? The righteousness of Jesus. We have to internalize that. Why? Well, because this world is filled with sin and temptation and suffering and evil and we can only persevere if we can understand that we have been given the righteousness of Jesus, and that we need to now live in that righteousness. And so he prays for them. He prays and he says, um, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And I think this is, his, this, it's, it's interesting to notice that he doesn't say, he doesn't pray that you will have grace and peace. You notice that? He doesn't say, and I pray that you guys will have grace and peace. No, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you because we already have the grace of God and we have peace with our creator through the blood of Jesus because of his righteousness that has, been, that has been imputed in us. And so he's praying, you have grace and peace may be multiplied the more and more and more. Now when we see, when we hear that, it's encouraging, but then you think, what's that look like, right? How do I have more grace and peace? Because it's interesting because at the end, uh, at the end of the letter, he's gonna say that you need to pursue this So how do we pursue this? And I think he says right here, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
And now keep in mind, this isn't like a, an academic, make sure you know more stuff about the Bible or more things about God. It's that you need to know Jesus more. And that as we pursue Jesus by his spirit, through his word, his grace and his peace will be multiplied to us. That's, that's why Peter can pray that grace and peace will be multiplied to them and then tell them to pursue grace and peace because they need to pursue it in his word through his spirit, right? Next week, we'll look more if this looks like what it looks like to add it on there, but we need to understand, man, this isn't just some sort of academic knowledge. And we need to know Jesus. I mean, as it's crazy because he will, the, the Christian life is filled with these types of seeming contradictions, right? You have godliness, now be godly. You have grace and peace, now pursue grace and peace. And that's because we are still living in this period where we have been made heavenly beings, but we're not living in our home. And it's so cool, when we read through Second Peter, there's this urgency. It's an urgency. This is his last chance to give a legacy. Right? But I mean, that's, that's the period we're living in now, right? We don't know when the last day is gonna be. We don't know the last day is gonna be for us. And so what do we need to do? And, I mean, do not live for the things of this world because they're gonna be dissolved. What kind of people do we need to be in holiness and godliness? Man, as, we, as, we, as we go into this study, we're gonna understand that our union with Christ and because of our union with Christ and his ability to keep his word, we can trust God in the middle of anything, right? Let's not forget, I mean, he's writing to a time when people are being killed because they're Christians, and that could happen again. I don't wanna be a, some sort of doomsday prophet, but if your hope is in this country and in the peace that we have right now, then that's gonna dissolve. That's gonna get burnt up. So we cannot live as those who are in this world for this world, but we are living for the day when we're gonna just put off this body right? And so now we are called to become that type of person. We need to be now pursuing Jesus, trusting in him because he's going to keep his word. Let me pray for us and then we're going to sing to the Lord. Father, we love you and we're so thankful for, for, to what you've called us in Christ. Thank you f that you have, in ways that we can never understand, you have imputed us, you've put inside us the righteousness of Jesus. Please forgive us for how easy it is for us to get distracted by the things of this world. Forgive us for how easy it is to get distracted by an academic study of your word or of theology and not a pursuit of you personally. And I pray for each one of us as we go, as we go through this study together that you will overwhelm us with the urgency there is for us to put our faith and our trust in you. We pray, Father, that you will be exalted in this congregation. I pray that this body will be a light of your gospel in this community, and we thank you for the opportunities that we have to be a part of this, to be a part of this, of this town and this community as a light of your gospel, and I pray that we won't neglect that. Help us to look to you and to become people of heaven while living in this body. We praise you in Christ's name, amen.